Hello, and welcome to the Flynn Skidmore podcast. My goal is to help you become exactly who you want to be. We're here to help you take your biggest, boldest, most beautiful vision for life and turn that vision into reality. Welcome back to the Flynn Skidmore podcast. Today, you are going to hear a fantastic and insightful conversation between me and Minaj, who's the co-founder of Open, which is a meditation and mindfulness studio based in LA. Minaj is a highly aware person, highly aware of his internal world and his external world. And what this conversation is really about is about a deep, intimate glimpse inside of the mind of a person who is evolving, who's changing. You're going to get to understand Minaj's perspective on mindfulness, but really you're going to get to understand how he applies it to himself. I can't wait for you to listen. Okay. So we've just started speaking about external variables and internal variables that influence our experience. And you're speaking about how you've been dealing with health issues. The first thing that you did was take a look at your patterns, the truth of who you've been over time and see and see like, okay, well, maybe this this illness in my body, is it is it asking me to adjust things, adjust the ways that I've been approaching life? And, and then you, and you started to look at that stuff, I imagine. And then you found that the thing that was actually creating the illness was mold in your apartment. So just tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. You know, I think I've, I've learned over the years that, um, sometimes, as I was saying before, our internal conditions can create our external reality. And then there are other times our external conditions can, can really, uh, teach us a thing or two about our internal world. And so what I've learned over the years is to take a two-pronged approach when I'm you know, f- focusing on my health. And I think I have a tendency to overthink it's something to do with me. So, you know, as soon as I started to get sick, I was like, oh, what am I doing? Like, what are the patterns that I'm kind of in right now? Am I overworking? Am I eating bad food? And um, And that's interesting in and of itself to notice or had the awareness to recognize that my tendency is to think that I'm always the problem. <laughs> like it's something, you know, that that's where my mind can, uh, from a default mode network perspective, that's where it can revert to is that, Oh, I'm the problem. Let me fix myself. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think having that awareness is, is good, but it needs to be balanced with a more holistic, uh, awareness when you're navigating health challenges to see, okay, what else could, could be out there. Is it environmental? Um, is it something at work? You know, there are all these different factors. So, you know, I'm, I feel very grateful to have gone through this journey these last 10 months. I was telling someone yesterday, it's been like the, probably the, the most challenging 10 months of my life, if, if not one of the most challenging. Um, but I'm kind of coming out of that a completely different person and a completely with a completely different outlook on, on life. What's the, what's the new outlook and what are the ways you're different? Well, I think it started for me when my mom passed away two years ago. I think um, up until that point, you know, I was very much just live in the moment kind of, um, I had that kind of attitude, which is not uncommon probably for a meditation teacher. But I, um, I was too much living in what made me feel good in that moment, not necessarily what was important in that moment. And so, you know, even I'd moved to LA to, to start open with some friends in, in 2020. 
And I left my whole family and, you know, it was in the middle of the pandemic. Um, you know, I just got caught up in, in working a lot and I really didn't get back home as much as I wanted to. Um, I'm a co-founder of a startup, so I didn't have all the time to call my my friends and family. And then when mum got sick, it was um, it was a beautiful experience and it was such a, an incredible reminder of what life is really all about. <clears throat> is it all about just working, you know, to the bone? Is it all about um, trying to grow your investment portfolio or save as much money as you can? And for me, I've started to learn and recognize that it's more about time and time is genuinely the most important thing. And and how I allocate that time is also really important to me. So, um, you know, coming back from that and then getting sick where I felt like I had no time to do anything, like I hardly saw any of my friends over the last, you know, 11 months. I'm like, oh, I need to really get healthy. I need to eat well. Like, you know, not even being able to justify how I would every weekend just binge out on food and for five days eat well. I'm like, no, I really want to eat well because I want to be able to have more time with with my daughter, with my, with my woman, with my friends, with work. And so that's, it's been a really beautiful and, and challenging reminder of, of the fragility of life. So before in this, in this version of, of life where you're optimizing for the present and what's here, and then that, that, took you into building a business. You focused your energy on that. You were with that. You may have invested less energy into some of the other things that are important to you, family, friends, those sorts of things. Where you're at now is you, you, you're seeing that time is something that is incredibly valuable to you, but not just time, how much time you have like how long you're going to be around here with your daughter and how and and how you are spending your time what you are actually doing in the time that you have so when i hear that what i'm hearing is you've got a different set of priorities you're making different decisions about what is important to you now um and and how do you know that like how like now in the place where you are right now how do you know if something is important to you how do you know it's important to you it's a great question. I think, first of all, you asked about time and, and how long, you know, I have with, with certain people. And really the, the answer to that is none of us really know how long we have. Like, you know, if we're fortunate, um, we might have, I think, 4,000 weeks is what um, that great <laughs> book that I read recently. Um, if we're lucky, we have 4,000 weeks in our life if we live to 80. But many of us aren't that lucky. And many of us are even luckier. We might have more than 4,000 weeks. So um, for me, there's a, a natural reflection of death, you know, almost every day. And, you know, I grew up in the Buddhist tradition. I studied um, for 15 years in that tradition. And, and there's a big focus on impermanence. And so when you think about your end, you really influence how you live. And it's a really freeing, liberating practice of considering this might be the last podcast I do, knock on wood. <laughs> you know, this might be the, the final time I get to, to kiss my, my daughter. This might be the final time I get to teach to hundreds of people and, and do what I really love. And so if you're informed by that, then you get to choose very intentionally where your time is allocated. And now you ask me, like, how do you know what's, what's important? And that's such a personal experience. But for me, it's really dropping into my body, dropping into my heart, 
um, reconciling that with my mind because, like I said, uh, previous to the last few years, I was very much in the moment, but I was not really uh, I was not really cultivating in the moment. I wasn't cultivating a life I, I would be proud of outside of that, you know, because sometimes we can be in the moment and just it can also almost be nihilistic, you know, like who cares about what happens tomorrow? But I think ultimately I looked at what I want out of my life. I want a family. I want to be healthy. I want to be at peace within myself. And then I work backwards. Like if I, if I want that uh, in the future, what do I need to do today in order to, to have that? So um, that was a little formula that I kind of worked with, but I think genuinely if we all drop into our bodies if we are really present with our own hearts we already know what's important you know from time to time we get wrapped in things and that's okay we get wrapped in what we're passionate about what we're excited about and that's okay um, but i think the older you get maybe even the wiser you get you start to to look at life a little differently We're doing another review incentive. So at the end of May 2024, we're going to pick one person who wrote a review between now and then to get a free one-on-one session with me. Instructions are in the description of this episode. And I just want to express how much I appreciate you. At this point, if you're a regular listener, you've got a whole bunch of access to the truth of who I am and to my soul. And that makes me feel really, really good. That is exactly the type of relationship that I want for us to be cultivating together. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for your review. I hope it's you that I get to do a one-on-one with. I appreciate you so much. One of the, I think that when people hear the recommendation to be present and to be in the moment, I think a lot of people struggle with that because it it seems like, and sometimes people even say this straight up, that what being present and being in the moment means is not considering the future or not reflecting on the past. To me, there's always a consideration or a creation of the future happening and an interpretation or a reflection of the on the past happening. Now, there's a version of reality where I'm trying to run away from that truth that the past and the future do exist right here in this moment. And what I think presence is, is blocking that information out and pretending that I'm only focused on what's right here in front of me. But then there's a different version of presence where I'm like joyfully, lovingly, and with curiosity considering the future and considering the past. And I think what I hear you saying is that what you're doing now is you're doing a better job of being in the moment. Because in this moment, compared to maybe two or three years ago, you are making more of a choice about how you are creating the future you want, rather than potentially um, re- like repressing the thought of the future that you might want. Yeah. And that could be, that could be true. I think I think genuinely it's when we encounter moments where life becomes very real, we naturally begin to have a broader perspective of life. Um, You know, me, the version of me 10 years ago and 20 years ago and 30 years ago is a very different me now. And so I'm constantly changing. My desires change. My feelings change. My experiences change. But, you know, when you encounter something like death, 
it is a very stark reminder of of life. And, you know, I was someone that has been going nonstop for, you know, 10 years, 15 years. From the moment I discovered uh, meditation practice, I almost became addicted to, to going deep into that experience, deep into that tradition, learning as much as I could, traveling to see different teachers, eventually becoming a teacher and then traveling all around the world, doing all of that. And so, um, in my mind, I could reconcile all of that by saying, you know, I'm very present to all of this. This is, this is great. I'm following my truth. I'm following my Dharma. This is amazing. And then somewhere along the line, I think, you know, the experience of mom and the experience of getting sick is almost just a, a stop sign saying, okay, you can go and keep going, but just go a little slower and uh, be more engaged with, with the things that you want to do. And know that, you know, everything you are doing right now is planting a seed for your future self, which is what, you know, you've eloquently said so well before. And everything you're experiencing right now, a lot of it, not everything, is a byproduct of the seeds you've planted in the past. Mm-hmm. And so the seeds that I planted in the past were, you know, I didn't eat the healthiest. I didn't prioritize physical health, exercise, and training, I thought if I just meditate and do breath work and yoga, I'd be fine. But then, you know, you get older and you're like, oh, no, I actually need to do strength training and I need to eat certain foods and I need to look at supplements and and all of these different things. So, yeah, I, I think age is a beautiful reminder of life. What I'm... Uh hearing in that and i have questions about this questions about your experience with this but what i'm hearing in that is that you have come to see that there's truth in the experience of your body like there's truth in this three-dimensional reality and it is part of your experience i have no idea if this was you or not but i know that a lot of people who dive deep into uh the world of meditation are are kind of doing so maybe with a denial of the truth of the physical body or the the physical re- truth of things that there is a three dimensional reality, um, and I've been there too. Like I I've been in that place where I thought the only world that exists is like the energetic, spiritual, or mental world, and that the physical world does like it just doesn't matter as much. Did you have an experience like that? Yeah, it's a great prompt. Um, you know, I think especially now, but I think even back then I approached the practice of meditation from a place of cognitive understanding, uh, mainly because of how I was raised and, and my proclivity to intellectualizing things naturally. And so when it came to meditation or even spirituality, Buddhist Buddhism, I tried to understand it in the mind. And I tried to figure it out like it was a puzzle that if I figured out, I would be able to experience. And what, I mean, paradoxically, what I learned through all of those experiences, it is dissolving the mind and being the experience of emptiness, which is, you know, in, in, in part a combination of the mind and body, but also it's a dissolution of the idea of me, this idea of Minaj, the founder, the father this person um and then to get to this place 
I, especially over the last seven years, it's been very much understanding that mindfulness is a somatic experience. So we, we feel it through our senses. We have an intuition we can tune into and listen to and follow. And a lot of my work is dropping out of my head as often as possible because it's so easy for me to, to try and figure it out, you know, whether it's a relationship whether it's a business interaction, whether it's a new idea, um, I very quickly want to go into what does this mean? What could it look like? And, you know, I've learned over the years that if I really pay attention to my body in those moments, my body is saying no. <laughs> you know, if I really pay attention to how my body was feeling in this particular relationship, I would know that it wasn't right, you know, and, and relationships are really interesting because, I was just reflecting on it the other day. There were relationships where, you know, my body was in a constant state of fight or flight. And when it was in this um, energized state, I would think that that was love. I'm like, oh, I love this person. But I would know that it would very quickly drop down to the other, the other end of the spectrum. And I'm like, oh, this is – and that emotional roller coaster, I would equate to what love really felt like. And it wasn't until, you know, I met my, my current partner and it was so challenging because I didn't have that. <laughs> it was just like so, uh, so monotonous at times. And I'm like, holy shit, like I don't love this person. But I realized this is this quality of spaciousness is love, like whether it's in the context of relationship or in the context of how I feel within myself or within the context of my work. When there's this quality of spaciousness, when things can come, when things can go, when I'm able to just be settled, that is the closest experience to me of, of love. And that really takes being present in the body to understand that and appreciate that. Are you liking this? So it sounds like you're evolving your understanding of love. Are you, are you, do you prefer this version of love? Yeah, I, I, I really do. Like it for me. I mean, it's always challenging because we're working with our psychology, something that we perhaps inherited when we were two. Some people say we inherited in our mother's womb. and we're, Potentially we're, even thousands of years ago. Yeah, exactly. I mean, potentially karmically many, many lifetimes, right? And so um, we're working against that at times. And so I, I don't really believe in binaries. You know, the older I get, I don't think this way is it, this way is that. But it's more like at the age that I'm in with the things that I want to do with how I feel, it's so nice to, to have this quality of spaciousness with a partner and not feel like I have to have the extreme highs, the extreme lows, even though they are still there, it's not as constant. And my nervous system generally feels much more at ease, which helps me sleep better, <laughs> which helps me function better. Uh, and I can focus on other areas of my life where sometimes you know, when, especially when I was young, I would be uh, derailed by a relationship in particular, you know, I wouldn't be able to stop thinking about it. And then when it ended, I would be ruminating on it. And so um, that comes with, yes, it comes with age and wisdom. It also comes with a lot of practice of awareness and mindfulness and also studying human nature and, and noticing like this is our tendency as, as beings, as, as humans. Someone DM'd me this morning and asked me such a such a great question. And I love that a man was asking me this because I think it's like historically, well, I can understand why it's hard for men to ask other men these kinds of questions. But he was like, 
I'm falling in love with someone and the thing that's happened, that's happened throughout my whole life is happening again. I'm falling in love with someone and I'm losing myself. They're all I can think about. Like it's all of my attention and energy is going into this person. And I'm like, no longer caring about the things that mattered to me before. Mm. I know I'm setting myself up for disaster here, but I can't seem to stop. Mm. And, um, the, you know, I, I was, I was thinking a lot about his, he's basically like, what do I do? Mm. Not even a question, like help really like help with this. And I was, and I haven't answered him yet, but I've been thinking a lot about it. I don't think, I personally don't think it's all that valuable to say that one thing is true love and another thing is not true love. That might be his current version of love, right? Mm. That's it. And that's his current version of love. The question is not if that's true love or not true love. The question is, does he like that experience? And what I always really, I really like helping people come to this understanding of like, whether you're in a relationship with this person or not, your task is still the exact same thing to be clear on the version of you that you want to spend your life creating and create that version. And if that, if that means that you end up being with this person, then that's incredible. But if not, then like you'll, you know, you're still, it's the same thing. That's the thing that matters is creating the version of you that you want to be. I think that it, it may, I don't even know how useful it is to ask, am I in love with this person or not? I think what is useful is, do I want to build a life that is full of love? Do I want to like build businesses? Do I want to build a body that's full of love? Do I want to build a life that's just absolutely oozing with a surplus of love? And when I'm investing my time and attention into this person, does it make it, does, does this relationship make it easier to make that happen? Am I, is it easier? Is it faster? Is it more fun? To me personally, I find that to be a much more useful way of evaluating the relationship and what it requires is that a person is pretty clear on what it is that they want to create. If I know what I want, I know the life I want to create, I know the version of myself I want to create, and, and I know how I want to feel. Like if I know who, how that version of Flynn feels, then it's so much easier for me to be discerning and evaluate uh, how I'm investing my time, energy, and attention. Mm. But if I'm not clear on that, I can really understand, and I've been there myself, I've done it too, getting swept up into something that like where I lose myself, hoping that losing myself is the thing that allows me to find myself. Mm. I'm curious if you have any experience with that or what, what you think about that. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I also really appreciate a man reaching out and asking that another, from another man too, which is even uh, cooler. I think that the Buddhist perspective somewhat ties into a psychological perspective on this. Um, so where I'd begin is to first acknowledge the fact that he is aware that something is happening right now. This feeling of, oh, I feel like I'm losing myself. Um, then I mean, I'm going to get a bit nerdy at this point. Please it's, do. It's to really break down who is this version of myself. Like, what does that actually mean? Like, I am this person that is what? That doesn't fall in love? That doesn't text someone every single day? Like, so get curious about that. And so, so you know, again, don't make a binary like, oh, I am this person, I'm that person. I also think sometimes, to be really honest, that 
Wait, can you, I'm sorry. Can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah. Because yeah. I'm not, I, I think I know what you mean, but I want to make sure I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I think in the context of, of this guy, he says, I'm losing myself. So what does, what does that mean? Like who is, let's say his name's Joe. So who mm-hmm. is Joe? Mm-hmm. Is Joe this person that only texts once a day? Is Joe this person that is, uh, that identifies with his job, that identifies with his identity of, you know, this is the kind of person that I am. And this is a Buddhist concept of not identifying with a self, right? Yeah. So um, then we look at how this idea of the self is never fixed. So, you know, you and I were very different maybe 12 months ago to who we are today. We're very different to who we were five years ago, 10 years ago. And so when we say it's I'm losing myself, like which version of yourself are you really losing? And then I see what you mean. Beautifully said. Yep. Yeah. And and then I would be somewhat contrarian and 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 offer him, well, what happens if you lose that version of yourself? I love that question. Right? Because maybe that version of you needs to get lost. Maybe that version of you that is let's look at attachment theory, for example, is an avoidant. <laughs> and so you're very protective of your identity. You're very protective of your time. You're very protective of how you want things. And this person is, you know, coming along and she wants to be intimate with you and you have a fear of intimacy. And then you reconcile this by saying, I'm losing myself because, you know, blah, blah. maybe that's what you need. Maybe if, and you said it, like maybe if what you ultimately want is to be loved, maybe you need to lose this version of yourself. And that's a really beautiful quality. That's a really beautiful thing. It's going to feel like shit. It's going to feel very challenging. You're going to be confused. You're going to not know what's happening. And that's sometimes exactly what you need. And my one of my favorite quotes is by a um, controversial Buddhist uh, meditation teacher by the name of Chogyan Trumpa. He says, sometimes this practice of self-development, this practice of self-awareness is like falling through the sky and realizing you don't have a parachute, but then realizing that there's no ground. And for me, it just, every time I say it, I kind of get chills from it because it, it is like that. It's when we're falling through the sky, like love is, is falling through the sky, right? And yet we want to grip onto things as we're falling. Like, no, I don't want to fall. I don't want to, here's my identity. Here's my time. Here's how, and then, um, what happens when we just let go into that? Like it becomes a beautiful experience. And that doesn't guarantee that the relationship is going to work out because you can't guarantee love. And I often think that the moment you say yes to love, you're also saying yes to heartbreak. But it's kind of reconciling all that by realizing that you're going to be okay regardless of what happens. When I, when I hear that, so you're without a parachute and then you look down and you see, okay, well, there's no ground. And then maybe you're like, well, this is still scary as fuck. I want to grip onto things. And you realize the clouds, you can't grip onto them. There's nothing to grip onto. So you're having this experience of falling. It seems like if there's no ground, you're going to fall infinitely. It's an infinite fall. So then you get to, ha- you get to ask yourself a question. What experience of falling do I want to have? Do I want to continue to hope that there is something to grasp onto? And when I do hope that there's something to grasp onto, who am I? What version of myself does that create? Or do I want to fly? 
do I want to have, do I want to learn to fly and to have fun in this experience yeah. of falling? Yeah. I think it's, 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 the, it's that second, it's that curiosity of, can I do somersaults? What would happen <laughs> if I expand my arms out? What would happen if I close my eyes, open my eyes? And that curiosity is something we forget when it comes to spiritual practice, when it comes to self-development work. It's that we don't have to have the answer all the time. And a lot of us don't. Like, I mean, I think of myself as almost an elder at this point, right? I've been doing this for a long time and I don't have the answers to all of life's problems or questions. But what I do have and what I really am proud of myself for cultivating is just the curiosity when it comes to new experiences, um, not shutting myself off from potentially getting my heart broken, not shutting myself off from potentially failing at a business venture. Um, and that I think is, is a quality that can really inform future decisions. You know, once we, the older we get, we're like, Oh, hang on. Well, I did this one thing when I was in my twenties and it turned out it was actually not too bad. So maybe I'll do it again. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's something that, if I could impart one bit of wisdom to anyone listening is to just be curious about life. When you were saying before about your body, like, like maybe you've, you're, you're obviously a super smart person, a high capacity to intellectualize and to understand things, right? And maybe you've invested a whole lot of time and energy through your life, like not even knowing that there was another option. Like the only option is intellectualizing and thinking about things. And then at some point along the way, you've learned to come into your body and pay attention to the experience that's happening in your body. Maybe even you would describe yourself as understanding how to live through your heart. Um, so you have this beautiful intellectual capacity and you also have this like heart capacity. I personally think that the only thing that I can know in any given moment, the only thing that I can know is what is happening in my body. And the second thing, uh, maybe another layer on top of that is whether or not I like it. So I can know if I feel open and if there's energy moving up through me, and I can know if I am enjoying that or if I'm not enjoying that. And I can also know if I'm contracted or if I feel dread or despair in my gut. And I can know if I like that. Hmm. When it comes, what you're saying about answers. Well, what I like to think about is like, okay, well, if let's say to the person who wants answers, if you got the answers, what would that do for you? Like, what would you actually get if you got the answers? And maybe that person would say, well, then there would be certainty and I could know this thing. And, and mm -hmm. then there's this, I was like, okay, if you have certainty, then what, what does it do for you to be certain? Ultimately, if we unpack that, we would get into that person's body and that person would say, well, then I get to relax. Okay. Yeah. And then I get to be grounded. Then I get to, um, be joyful, peaceful, calm. So you think what you want is answers, but what you actually want is an experience in your body. And what experience in your body do you want to have? What everyone seems to want when we unpack it is exactly what you're talking about, curiosity. People want to be curious about the world. They want to experience awe and wonder. But I find so many people get so trapped into thinking that what they need is an answer when really 
what life is to me is a practice of being clear of the experience we want in our body and then relating to everything as a practice of that experience. So right now, I want to be curious with you. I can know if I'm curious because I can know, I know what curiosity is like in my body. So Uh then this conversation for me becomes a meditation on or a practice of curiosity. And I'm not thinking like, am I doing well? Do I sound smart? Does he like me? I'm thinking, am I experiencing curiosity? Where did I slip up? How could I be even more curious? I'm, I'm wondering if that lands for you, if that, if that seems valuable as a way of living. Yeah, I, I really, I really appreciate that. I think what you're saying is 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 very similar to how I would talk about it as well. Um, maybe the the delineation there is that we need we need the mind as well, right? So living just in the heart is great, but you know we have to use our mind to navigate daily life. You know, if we lived just in the heart, we might be taken advantage of all the time. Um, so we need to cultivate both those two faculties. That's why practices like meditation can really help because, you know, in my tradition, we call meditation a one form of meditation, which is what I practice, Vipassana. Vipassana translates to clear seeing. And so we need to be able to see clearly in order to understand our lives, to understand our reality. And we need to be able to notice what we feel first in order for us to see clearly through the mind. So they both work interchangeably. And, you know, in in Buddhist meditation practice, we believe that the heart and the mind are one thing. Mm. They're not two separate things. And um, the the somatic feeling then gives rise to how we can perceive our experience. I love that. That makes so much sense. What do you think is like, like, if if we could if we could get clear on the best possible way that we could use our minds as a tool what do you see as as the as the most beautiful expression of the mind a lot of people would ex- would probably describe themselves as being a slave to their mind and like ruminating in thoughts unable to escape their thoughts overthinking so for a lot of people the mind is not a beautiful thing and they're so desperate to be able to be in their body and escape their mind. But what I'm hearing you say, and I completely agree with you, is that there actually is no distinction between the mind and the heart. And what it's about is, is learning how to use the mind in a way that as a tool that serves us and the experience that we want to have and creating what we want to create in our lives. So what do you see as the most beautiful use of the mind? I mean, first of all, everyone's mind is beautiful. You know, we and we all experience dark thoughts. We all experience depression, anxiety. We we all have that tendency. So the first thing I will say is don't reject yourself because you're experiencing darkness right now. Um, you are a beautiful person. You are a beautiful. You have a beautiful mind, and your mind can change and your mind can evolve. And we know this through neuroscience. We know that the brain and it shifts, adapts, creates new, new new neural networks due to repeated experiences. We also know through neurogenesis that the brain can reshape itself. It can create new neural pathways out of pathways that weren't there previously. So if you understand that everything has the nature to change, everything has the nature. That's beautifully to- said. Everything has the nature to change. I really like that. I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt because it's just so oh, beautiful. So beautifully said. Yeah. Keep affirming me. I love it. It's great. 
Um, but if you understand that everything has this capacity and this capability to shift, to change, to exist for a moment in time and then, then to die away, you'll recognize that your mind is just the same. And, you know, right now you might be going through, a friend said this to me actually when I was in New York last month, um, you're in a season right now. You know, and this season could be a season of darkness. It could be a season of anxiety, sadness, heartbreak. But then there's a new season that's around the corner. You don't know when it's going to come. You don't know how long it's going to come for. And so just embrace that. Just recognize that that's going to happen. And, you know, you need a practice of seeing clearly. And it doesn't have to be meditation. You know, it could be some, you could just be someone that goes out into the ocean and is just really present in the ocean. You know, we could be someone that goes out into nature and is just so engaged and present. And we're cultivating similar qualities of just being engaged with things that are coming and going, seeing what really is for what it is and not for how our mind projects it to be. And that's one of the byproducts of this idea of seeing clearly, right? That we can experience things in our life, like new relationships, like new business ideas with um, without a sense of projection of our past or, uh, you know, putting our anxieties into what could happen. We can just be with what is in this moment. But for many of us, it takes time and it takes a practice to get us there. I don't necessarily think willpower is going to get us there. We have to have a tool. And whatever that tool is, you know, I obviously for selfish reasons have found meditation to be that practice. Because a teacher once told me, if you want to understand your mind, sit down and observe it. <laughs> and it made all the sense in the world to me. And so that why, helped Why me. is that for um, selfish reasons? Well, I think I'm a meditation teacher. So I'm, oh, I'm okay. Gonna, so you're, you're, you're thinking, yeah, I got what you're saying. That's the tool. That's the tool. Right, right. right. <laughs> and, you know, but I, I do recognize there are other ways to also get there. So I'm by no means saying my way is the only way, but it's just the way that I found to be really beneficial. Um, and so, yeah, if you, if you want to be able to, to change anything, if you can clearly see um, an aspect of your personality or your life that isn't serving you in some way and you want to be able to, to shift and change it, you have to believe that you're first capable of doing that. And the mind is also one of those things. We can change our mind. We can have a much more beautiful mind, even though your mind is beautiful right now, um, you can cultivate the, the, the feeling states you want, you know, but also recognize that that's impermanent as well. So it's not going to be a forever thing. Um, and then this season is also going to end at some point. There's so much in there that stood out and, and that I want to address. One of those things is you, you telling people that their mind is beautiful. I 1 million percent agree. The place that I have gotten to in life, and I, it, it is, it's absolutely a blessing to be in this place. Like the, what, the way that I see it is that my thoughts, my psyche is not necessarily my thoughts, my psyche. I just have intimate access to this particular vantage point of thoughts and psyche. I don't really know whose it is, but I have intimate access to being able to observe and witness this thing. And I see it all as beautiful. I mean, 
even the darkest things that could exist, even the darkest things that could exist in my own thoughts or in any other thoughts, I see those as beautiful. I like to practice this experience of witnessing all thoughts or all things that could exist in the mind the same way that I would watch a sunset over the ocean or the, or the mountain. I want to experience awe and wonder when watching any thought happen. And yeah. I think it's a really, be- what's so beautiful is I can feel in the way that you're saying that, that you probably have that experience inside of your own world. You experience your own inner world as beautiful, which means you know other people's inner worlds are beautiful. Yeah. Can I, sorry to cut Please. you off. I wanted to just add, add one point. So it's not that I think my thoughts are beautiful. I think my mind is beautiful. I make a distinction between my mind and my thoughts. Um, actually, I make a distinction between my mind and thoughts. I don't necessarily think they're mine, the thoughts. I think thoughts present themselves, even feelings to an extent present themselves. They are not mine. What, what is mine is my awareness. And my awareness can, as you said, observe all of these things. They can witness them. They can experience them. But these thoughts, might, I don't think, are, are mine. You know, we're, If you look at what popular culture really breeds, we're inundated with stimulus, like from the moment we wake up to the time we go to sleep. Um, and so often some of the thoughts aren't mine. It could be a conversation you have with someone and they're telling you about, you know, what protein shake to have. And all of a sudden at 3 a.m., you're thinking about this protein shake. And I'm like, yeah, that's not my protein shake. <laughs> thought It was just this thought that arose due to causes and conditions in my mind. And so being able to say that, as you said it so beautifully, that you are the observer of, of these of these experiences and you're looking from a place that is beautiful already. You're right? looking from a place that is beautiful already. Right, right. Yeah. And then the thought itself could be um, skillful or unskillful. I don't even really like to say negative or positive because who really knows at the end of the day. Um, but you can decide to take action based on what you're observing. I like that. So you get, so there's, there's, there, maybe this comes from the same place, but so there's one of the things that we're speaking about here is being the awareness who witnesses the thoughts, who witnesses. So right now, I am having an experience. I am aware of thoughts. And I'm, I sometimes get confused, like, what actually is a thought? Is it an image that I'm creating? Is it a word that I'm saying? But there's something that exists in the realm of, like, images and words that I see as, as thoughts. I'm also having a part of my experience is my somatic experience, what's happening in my body. There's also um, interpretations of the past, predictions of the future. There, there are these things that are happening that I'm aware of all of them. And what I like to practice is like, how, how, um, how, how can I, how can I just be in a state of stillness as I am aware of all of the things that I could possibly aware, be aware of in any given moment without latching to any one of those things as the truth of reality, but a truth of reality. It's a truth. And there are multiple truths happening. And then what I hear you say is like what we get to do somehow, some way, maybe some people would describe this as free will. We get to make a choice about which one of these things we use and which we don't want to use in order to build something. Is that this who's choosing? Is that the same thing as the awareness? Like what what's that? Yeah, I, 
<laughs> well, I love that deconstruction of, of our conversation. This can get very dense. So I'm going to try to avoid getting into a conversation around free will because that is a whole podcast in and of itself. But I think what you're saying so skillfully is we have the ability to first observe our experience. And then the first place we observe for many of us could be the mind. I'm like, oh, I, I like this. Someone is complimenting me. I like this. Someone is saying bad things and don't like that. But then being able to witness not just that dialogue, but also the internal dialogue. Oh, when this person says nice things, my, my body feels spacious and light and I feel, I feel like my heart beating. When they say negative things, it could be a different kind of maybe my stomach is starting to churn. But then it's to, it's to have the clear seeing of the mind to interpret the next thing. Right. So if we say, oh, he's saying nice things, I want more. It must mean that I'm a good person. And then when they say bad things, our mind goes into, oh, I'm a bad person. So there's it's this cycle of awareness that's always kind of moving through the through the body, the head, the body and the head. And hopefully if we have a had a practice up until that point, we have a frame of reference for our experiences. We can say, oh, OK. This person is saying all these nice things. It feels nice, but I know who I am. Oh, I know I, I have a sense of understanding and awareness of who I am that no matter if this person says good or bad, it doesn't affect me. You know, it's not going to change how I think of myself. And I think that that recognition is another part of this because Otherwise, we can be really thrown around by other people's perception of us. Um, we can be thrown around by what the world thinks of us. But if we cultivate this awareness, it, we're like, no matter what happens, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> that It can be that simple. I will not abandon myself. I will love myself regardless of if I fuck up at work or if I make a mistake in a relationship. Um, I know that I am inherently good. And I am aware of all of these things. I'm a work in progress. But provided we approach our life through this sense of I'm a good person, I don't have to do anything to prove it. I'm working on myself. I'm developing and things come and go and, you know, just be our own friend. Like all the other shit just falls away almost because we are always evolving and you know, we're never going to stop, provided we're curious about our life, provided we're willing to, to evolve. We're always going to change. I love so much of that. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce something that may deviate only 5% from what you're saying, but I'm curious to hear how, what, what you think about it. So I used to invest a lot of energy into being perceived as a good person. I, I really wanted to be perceived as a good person and I wasn't aware of it at the time, but I wanted to be perceived as a good person because somewhere along the way, I was conditioned to believe that if I'm perceived that way, then I'm safe. Then I get love, then I'm safe, then I get belonging. And so therefore, then I, I, I constructed this version of safety that relies on being perceived as a good person. And if that's my access to safety, then I'm probably going to set myself up to try to manipulate other people into seeing me as a good person, manipulating perception. And, and you're also going to avoid experiences that will inherently feel unsafe, which 
is good in one way because it's coming from a place of love. You don't want to experience suffering. But that place you experience suffering is also the place you experience love and joy. And that is inherently unstable and uncertain. Right? So- I really like that. I, right. If we are that invested into keeping ourselves safe with, with one narrow version of safety, we're going to avoid the things that we really, really need for love. Yeah. 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 And so one of the... Oh, sorry. What, so like one of the things that like when people are afraid of being seen as a bad person, I was just speaking with a client about this yesterday. One, one of the ways, like, especially for entrepreneurs, one of the ways that that shows up for people is not creating content because they're afraid of the comments and people perceiving them as a bad person. Sure. So that person's safety is predicated on being perceived as a good person and it's terrifying to be perceived as a bad person, right? And that that really hamstrings a lot of people. Like that makes life very difficult when your sense of safety rests on being perceived as a good person and avoiding being seen as a bad person. Mm-hmm. I I actually like and and I can understand that what I ask is like who is that version of me who hopes being seen as a good person is going to be the thing that gets me to be safe like maybe maybe a person learned that like if they get the gold star from the teacher then they get safety but then they set their lives up chasing the gold star and they never get the safety and the love they're looking for so it's to me like I wouldn't say that that's not true safety I would just ask, is that actually creating as much safety as I want? And are there better versions of safety available? And if so, what does it look like to experiment with those? And here's where the deviation part comes in. I would love to hear your thoughts. I actually, I don't know that I'm a good person. I don't, I don't know if I'm a good person because me, like you were saying with positive negative, good and bad relies to me it relies on an an assumption of objectivity so usually when we say i'm a good person it means like i care about people and that means i care about life and i care about people's well-being and if that's the case then i know that life and people's well-being is objectively good therefore i'm a good person i personally don't know that life and people's well-being is objectively good but i do know that i like life and i like people's well-being i know that I like the experience of supporting life, growing life, contributing to other people's well-being. So I don't know if that means that I'm good or not. I just know that I like that. And if I like that and I want more of it, then I get to spend the rest of my life getting better at creating more of it. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that um, expression. What I think you're talking about in the terms of my study and and my work is intention and you know yes we don't objectively know if we're a good person but when we wake up in the morning we make decisions based on the awareness that we have and so provided you don't wake up in the morning and actually no i'm not even gonna say that i don't even know what i was going with that (laughs) i think you know we have this term called basic goodness which sometimes refers to basic okayness, right? Mm. And that, uh, and what that really translates to is that inherently deep, deep down in our psyche, in our body, when we were born as a child, we were born innocent, pure, and good. Somewhere along the line, we started to evolve. We picked up ideas. We picked up perceptions. We picked up our personality, likes and dislikes and all that sort of stuff. 
And as we evolve and as we grow to who we are today, all we really have are our choices, right? How are we choosing to live from a place of love? Are we choosing to live from a place of awareness? Are we choosing to live from a place of comfort and what feels easy and what feels good right now? And these are all self-inquiries that, you know, people will have to do themselves. But intention is really important. Like, do I choose to, to do not necessarily good things? Do I choose to do skillful things, you know, things that won't cause suffering to myself or other people? Do I choose to do skillful actions that will lead me towards the conditions I want to experience in the future? Yes. Yes. You know, so an example is I love fried chicken and waffles. Um, it makes me feel good in that moment but like 20 minutes afterwards i feel like shit and then definitely a week later i'm still like you know i feel like shit like if i was to just do things that felt good it would actually be quite harmful for me but instead i'll have a green juice i don't love it but <laughs> it's going to i know it's going to create the conditions for me to feel much better and to be more present to the people i love to get the sleep that i want to have the energy that i want so intention is really important with, with the actions that we do. If we can approach every action with the intention to be kind, you know, not to cause harm, um, then I think generally we create a good life. And what that really translates to is also up to people's definition of that. Remember when you were talking about how your thoughts are not your thoughts, they are there and you are experiencing them. I imagine you know this, but some of the most creative people in the history of the world have also seen it that way. Like Einstein didn't take ownership of his ideas. He was like, they exist and somehow I'm experiencing them and then I get to write them out on a chalkboard. Um, artists, musicians, athletes, like that's how some of the people who have created some of the most beautiful things in the world have seen their capacity to create is that it's not theirs. They're not taking ownership of it. They're a vessel through which this thing expresses itself. And when you're talking about fried chicken, like I love fried chicken too. Um, and it, and, and I think there's absolutely a place in life to, to be eating fried chicken a million percent. One of the things that the way that I like to approach life is I'm clear on what I want to be a vessel for. I'm clear on the thoughts that I would like to exist in my mind so that I can use them as tools to support other people. And I'm very clear on the actions that I take that, that make it easy for me to be a like lubricated fluid vessel to receive those things. And I'm very clear on the actions that I take that make it really difficult for me to be the vessel of the thing that I would like to offer the world. And for me personally, it, it what it comes down to is like, how much do I want it? How much do I want to be a vessel for these things and to be able to share them with the world? And if I want it, then, you know, like how, how disciplined am I willing to be to set myself up to be, I see it as being in a relationship. I don't know who or what this thing is that is happening when I'm journaling, but it, 
it comes through and I see myself as being in an in, in intimate relationship with it, being in love with it. And therefore I want to be in service of it and devoted to it in some ways. And, and I think sometimes devotion really does mean eating fried chicken. Like I think love and inspiration do want that sometimes. And I do think that some people have bodies like Kobe Bryant was eating full pizzas before winning NBA championships. Like some people's bodies are set up to be able to be devoted to inspiration, even if they're eating fried chicken every day. I know for me personally, I'm not. So the way, the view that I have is that fried chicken and waffles isn't bad or good. It's not about that. It's it's what are my patterns of energy over time and and what what is my relationship with inspiration like and am i really holding myself accountable to doing the things to be in as beautiful of a relationship with inspiration as i want yeah i didn't think we'd spend 5 minutes talking about fried chicken like this but <laughs> uh, yeah i think what you said is is really on point it's that enjoy things enjoy life i think sometimes also we can get I know I'll speak for myself so dialed in, so focused on what, where I want to be that it's almost like I'm a horse with blinkers on. You know, I only see what's in front of me. I don't open up and take in all of life. And life is about joy as well. You know, like I'm not saying don't enjoy it, but what I have learned over time is to just pay attention to, you know, it's moderation. It's called the middle path, right? It's do these things, have fun, live your life, don't be so rigid in your experience and also notice like you said like am i energized when i eat fried chicken and maybe if you for me if i eat once a month i am i love that shit yes. i enjoy it I my fingers like I'm, I'm in it. but if i was to do that every weekend it wouldn't serve me you know and um yeah it, it's it's I, I love that story about kobe because some people are just built different and they're different and it doesn't mean you have to be like that. And it doesn't mean there's something wrong with you if you're not like that. Um, it's really honoring what your needs are. It's really honoring what your experience of life is. Before we wrap up, do you have anything that feels important or exciting to share with people? Or anything that, 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 you, that would feel really inspiring to say? Hmm. Yeah, I think before we, we came on, I was talking to you about, you know, this year I've been experiencing mold toxicity in my body, which has, you know, been really difficult for me because in my mind I have got all the, the tools to navigate challenging times. And here I am <laughs> for 10 months, like going through darkness, you know, in my mind and physically not being able to exercise and do all of that. And, you know, when I'm, I'm slowly coming out of the other side of that and I'm realizing how beautiful life is and how fragile life is and how there is an urgency to life combined with a slowness to it. And maybe they go hand in hand. What I mean by that is that live your life right now. You know, tell people you love them. Do the things that light you up. Follow your dreams. Do all of that. And at the same time, slow down, <laughs> which it can seem paradoxical, but, but really it's not. When you're with you know, people that you love, be really there. You know, don't be on your phone. Um, when, you're, when you're following your dreams, bring some lightness to that because you know, I've started two companies right now and 
you know, my first one was just grinding, 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 grinding. And, and with open, it was a little bit like that too. And then it wasn't until you know, the passing of my mom that I realized, oh, there's actually more to it as well. It doesn't mean I have to give up on my dream. It can be like, you know, enjoy my time with my, with my wife and really savor those moments because they're so fragile. And um, the fragility of life is really what makes it so beautiful, I think. When we're, you know, when people are watching athletes doing unbelievably beautiful and impressive things and they say they make it look so easy, I think that what's happening is that both, both of the things that you're talking about are happening at the same time. There's urgency and there's immense stillness, immense urgency and immense stillness. And I think that you're so right. Like it seems paradoxical, but they actually coexist just like the mind and the heart. And like, I really, to me, like that's one of the most beautiful practices of life is to be still while the rest of the world sees you moving super fast and beautifully, but the actual experience is stillness. I love the way that I love that you're inviting to people to live life like that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And this was a great, great conversation. Thank you for for having me on. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate your it's 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 clear to me that you know what the fuck is up like you are a student of your mind and your experience and i i love the way that you merge your own experience with all of these wonderful things that you have learned outside of you all of the teachings like you you are the person who knows both the inside and the out and and i appreciate that so much thank you brother yeah thank, thank you so much so When you spend a lot of time in this world of human potential, human change, self-actualization, bringing visions to life, creation, you find that there are a lot of different schools who ultimately are talking about the same thing, capturing a handful of principles using different metaphors, using different tools, strategies, and approaches to try and teach people just a handful of things. What I really loved about this conversation is that it seemed clear to me that Minaj and I are really on the same page about these principles, and we just enjoy teaching them in different ways. It was so fun for me, Minaj, to get to explore your perspective and your world. Thank you for your transparency, your honesty. We are all so glad that you are feeling better. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Minaj.